We come this morning to the book of Acts chapter 14, but before we turn there, I would like you to please turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In this chapter, Jesus is about to send his 12 disciples out to preach and to heal the sick. Before he sends them out, though, he charges them and forewarns them of what they can expect. In verses 34 through 39, which we'll read in just a moment, he forewarns them about something they might not have expected at all. They're sent out to preach the good news of salvation to lost and dying sinners. But Jesus tells them about the division that he brings to this world. He's the Prince of Peace, isn't he? But he brings division. So follow with me as I read verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not love son or, or he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. J.C. Ryle, a minister that lived in the 1900s or 1800s, I mean, he, he said this. He said, here Jesus bids us to remember that his gospel will not cause peace and agreement wherever it comes. The object of his first coming on earth was not to set up a millennial kingdom in which all would be of one mind, but to bring the gospel which would lead to strifes and divisions. We have no right to be surprised if we see this continually fulfilled. We're not to think it's strange if the gospel rends asunder families and causes estrangement between the nearest relations. It is sure to do so in many cases because of the deep corruption of man's heart. So long as one man believes and another remains unbelieving, so long as one is resolved to keep his sins and another desires to give them up, the result of the preaching of the gospel must needs be division. For this the gospel is not to blame but the hearts of men. Someone said, although the Redeemer is the Prince of Peace, He's not satisfied with the serenity of a dead sea. (laughs) Well, now please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Now, in Acts chapter 13, 
We saw the gospel publicly preached to the Gentiles for the first time in Antioch of Pisidia. I say publicly preached because he preached it to Cornelius in his, in his household and family. But now it's being publicly preached. In fact, Luke tells us that a great multitude of Gentiles turned out on the second Sabbath they were in Antioch to hear these missionaries preach the full and free offer of the gospel. And it says they were glad. But the Jews, he said, were full of envy and stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, and they raised up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And so he says they shook off the dust from their feet against them, which in chapter 10 of Matthew the Lord commanded. And now they've come to Iconium, which is about 80 miles east of Antioch and Pisidia. And this is all up there in Asia Minor, uh, where we find modern-day Turkey. And now Iconium at that time was a great agricultural and commercial city in the Roman province of Galatia. And so now would you follow with me as I read beginning in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 7. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Jews, the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So, seven verses and seven points. That's my message today. It's going to have seven points, one for each verse. The first one is blessing. The second one is opposition. The third one is perseverance. The fourth one is division. The fifth one is persecution. The sixth one is deliverance. The seventh is continuance. I want to assure you that I will not spend equal time with each point. I've been in your place, and I remember a certain preacher we used to have around here preached a lot of points. And he would spend ten minutes on the first point, and I started adding it up. We'll be here for three hours. (laughs) Well, it's not going to be that, so I assure you. I'm not spending equal time with each point. But let's begin by looking at the first point, verse 1 which is blessing, that is, the blessing of God upon their ministry. He says that it happened at Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. Now that is success. And that's a blessing from God. You see, this missionary endeavor 
was a work of God. It was a work which God had called them to and through the church had sent them. God sent them on this missionary trip. They weren't on a fool's errand. You remember the great promise given by the risen Christ when he gave that great commission to the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What was the promise that he attached to that command? And lo, I am with you even to the ends of the earth. He promised that he would be with them to protect them, to comfort them, to instruct them, to bless their work. Go, he says, but you will not go alone. And that accounts for the blessing upon their ministry. We just sang the hymn, Send thou, O Lord, to every place swift messengers before thy face, the heralds of wondrous grace, where thou thyself will come. He sends them, but he goes with them. Now, notice in verse 1, it says they went together. This, this should probably be translated according to their custom. They entered the synagogue. You see, it was already and would continue to be to their custom on these missionary journeys to go into a city and find the synagogue and first go and preach there. In Acts 17, Luke tells us this very thing that Paul, as his custom was, went into them, that is, into the synagogue of the Jews. The gospel was to be brought first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. This is what they did in chapter 13. Uh, But uh, then when the, the Jews rejected them and stirred up the persecution against them, Paul and Barnabas said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. It was right and good that they go to the Jews first. And so here they did. And then it says this, and notice it says they so spoke that a great multitude of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. Uh, The Lord continued to bless this ministry with conversions of great multitudes Now, Luke could say of them what he said in chapter 13, that as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. We find that in chapter 13. Uh, It speaks very clearly of God's predestination. God was calling his elect, both Jews and Gentiles. They had been chosen from the foundation of the world, predestined to eternal life. In John, Jesus assured us that all that the Father has given me shall come to me. Whether in this city or that city or another city, if God's people were in that city, they would come. But notice what Luke says here. It says they so spoke that a great multitude believed. Now, what does that mean? They so spoke. Well, another and again, perhaps a better translation is this that they spoke in such a way that a great multitude believed. They spoke in such a way. He's speaking not of the content of their preaching here, though that's vital, but the manner 
in which they spoke. They spoke in such a way that a great multitude believed. Well, how did they preach? Or in what manner did they preach? Now, in our adult Sunday school class, we've been studying J.I. Packer's wonderful little book entitled Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he makes this excellent point that evangelizing is not simply a matter of teaching and instructing and parting information to the mind, but it includes the endeavor to elicit a response to the truth taught. He didn't just throw the gospel out there with a callous attitude and said, well, take it or believe it. I've done my job. I'm gone. No, he was seeking to win them to Christ. He sought to persuade them. That is to carry their judgment. We see throughout the book of Acts that Paul's method or manner of preaching was varied, but it says in one place that he disputed with them. In another place, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And in another place, it says he taught them. In another place, he persuaded them. Again, he sought to carry his hearers' judgment. What Luke meant here by these words, they spoke in such a way has been uh, speculated upon, and we're not told exactly the manner in which they spoke that would cause this. But one thing that one man said, all preaching that is equally orthodox and faithful is not equally successful. They preached sincerely and they preached honestly in the sight of men and in the sight of God. This was certainly a key to their manner of preaching. They weren't just throwing words out. And I've seen preachers preach. I wonder if they even care if the people are listening. They were preaching sincerely and honestly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, We're not as so many peddling the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. That's the difference of their preaching. They were preaching like, not just they're preaching to men, but they're preaching in the sight of God. And someone has well said, what you are before God is what you are. Nothing more and nothing less. And they were preaching in the sight of God. Paul would always, if he could, remove any stumbling blocks that might hinder his preaching. He says, we renounce the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the Word of God deceitfully. Now that's something that turns people off. At least it turns off those who are thinking. <laughs> Those that are wanting something real. It turns them off because they see this is just put on. You're just, you're just giving us a show. They don't want that. And Paul says, we've renounced those things. We're not handling the Word of God deceitfully, not to try to get some gain. And, and how much has, has gone on in the name of Christ that has caused people to turn away from all religion? They think, oh, they're just in it for the money. They're just in it to build bigger mansions and so forth. He says, no, we're not handling God's word deceitfully. But he says, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, again, in the sight of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, 
I am, though I'm free from all men, I've made my, myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, he said, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those who are under the law and those who are without the law as without the law that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And here he sums it all up. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. That doesn't mean, again, he wasn't putting on like he's going to pretend like he's a Gentile when he's not. But if there's something that might offend the Gentiles that's neither good or bad, he would do away with it. Or something that would offend the Jews. In the matter of eating eat meat offered to idols, there were certain Jews that said, no, you can't do that. You'll be sinning against God. Okay, I won't eat meat offered to idols. He would put those things away. But he had a sincere desire to win them. And that comes across in the manner in which he preached. One commentator said that they preached with such force, warmth, unction, or assistance of the Spirit. And that's a key right there, the assistance of the Spirit. We see in chapter 13, it says very directly that being filled with the Spirit, they preached. And so that affects not only the content, but the manner in which they preached. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke also with conviction and boldness. In fact, in this very very chapter, it says they, even after the persecution arose, in verse 3, it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Now, boldness is not, as I've said before, it's not brashness. It's not harshness. It's not even necessarily loud. It's preaching confidently that what you're saying, you believe. And you know it to be true. And these men, if the one thing they knew, they knew that the message they preached was the truth of God. They knew that Jesus Christ wasn't just some man that appeared on the scene, that he was just like any other man. Oh, he was indeed a man, but he was also God. He was the God man. They believed it. They believed that he was sent from God. They saw his miracles. They saw his wonders. And this is why God gave miracles, not just to simply impress people, but to show the truthfulness of both the message and the messenger. That Jesus Christ was of God. God attested to him that he was the Son of God by signs and wonders which he performed in their midst. He didn't do it off in some corner that no one could ever see or prove. He did it right in front of them. That's why I've said so many of these so-called faith healers are, are just fakes. They're phony as a $3 bill. It's because they're not really doing the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus did miracles they could see, they could witness. And these men had seen it. And they knew specifically and most importantly that this Jesus who lived this perfect life no one could accuse him of sin. And who died on the cross a death, the death of deaths, a death for sinners as their substitute. And that on the third day, he rose from the dead. They saw it. 
Peter says, another apostle said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We've handled the word of life, John says. And Paul saw the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord, on the road to Damascus when God saved him, when he was going about breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. And he had papers in his hand. He wanted to drag them off to prison. And suddenly, a light shone from heaven. And a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He saw it. And he's preaching this to others. He believed. He had an absolute conviction. And so he spoke with boldness the gospel. And ministers of the gospel should always speak with boldness. Not with trepidation. Not with uh, qualifications. Not with hesitancy. They're to be ready to preach the Word of God in season and out of season. And they're to preach it with boldness. Paul often asked others to pray for him that he might speak the Word of God boldly. He does so to the Ephesians. He says, pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. They spoke boldly and confidently because they knew their message was true. They knew their message was exactly what others needed to hear, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. It was exactly suited to their needs. Because he knew that these men and women, whether they were Jews or whether they were Gentiles, were all under sin. They were under the condemnation of God. And if they die without Christ, they will perish eternally. And they believe that Jesus was not just a way to heaven, but that He is the way. Jesus, the night before His crucifixion, He's with His disciples in the upper room. And He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may, believe, you may be also. Do you believe this, He said? And then he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They believed that he was the only way. And that he was the way. And he was the only hope for sinners. They believed what they said. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, and since we all have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak. When he went into that synagogue, he didn't say, well, you know, I think I've got something that might help you out or give you a little perspective, different perspective on things. No, he came with the message of the good news. He calls it later the word of grace. That you and I can be saved. That we can have our sins completely forgiven. We can be reconciled to a holy God even though we are foul sinners, filthy sinners. We can be made right with God. Well, how? By this Savior who came into the world to save sinners. And not only sinners, but even the worst of sinners. Paul himself called himself the chief of sinners. He persecuted the church. 
He hated the name of Christ and God in His mercy and His grace. Jesus Christ came to him and saved him. He called upon the name of the Lord and was saved. And he knew that this gospel that he had to preach, he wasn't ashamed of it. He was ready to preach it wherever he went. He was ready to take it to Rome and preach it there in that great city of Rome. That he would set the gospel up against any of the philosophers of his day. They had empty philosophy, vain speculations, but he had the truth of God. And so they spoke in such a manner that they really believed it and wanted others to believe it too. They believed what they had was the treasure in an earthen vessel. They believed their message carried all the authority of God. They believed their message The gospel was the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Even though the Jews would find the message of free grace to be a stumbling block and the Greeks would find it to be foolishness and their so-called wisdom, we who believe and are being saved, he said, we believe it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so they preached in such a manner. William Arnott said, We should perform diligently the work of winning souls as if it all depended on our exertions. And yet to cry to the Lord for power as if we could do nothing. It's interesting in the book of Ecclesiastes when the preacher, who's the author of the book, when he comes to the very end, he says, he said, I, I've, I've set before you words. I've chosen them carefully. And that's what preachers do. They need to choose their words carefully, but they need to believe what they say. And they need to rely not on their own wisdom or their own eloquence or anything like that. They need to rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what no man can accomplish. And that is to work in the hearts of men. Listen to what Matthew Henry says about it. He says, There seems to have been something remarkable in the manner of the apostles preaching here, which contributed to their success. They spoke that a great, they so spoke that a great multitude believed so plainly, so convincingly, with such an evidence and demonstration of the Spirit, and with such power, they spoke so warmly, so affectionately. And with such a manifest concern for the souls of men that one might perceive that they were not only convinced, but filled with the things they spoke of. And that what they spoke came from the heart and therefore was likely to reach the heart. They so spoke so earnestly, so seriously, so boldly, so courageously that those who heard them could not but say that God was with them of a truth. Yet, Matthew Henry says the success was not to be attributed to the manner of their preaching, but to the Spirit of God who made use of those means. But God does make use of means. He's free to work without them, even against them, but He chooses generally means. And even the manner is part of those means. Well, point one. (laughs) Point one. Well, point two. We see opposition 
No sooner does God's blessing come than we see the opposition of the enemy rear its ugly head. We see this pattern now throughout the book of Acts. God blesses and Satan attacks. And he does so so here through the Jews. It says in verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the, the brethren. The opposition came from these unbelieving Jews. And they stirred up the Gentiles. It's interesting here. Not only they don't want to believe it, but they don't want anybody else to believe it. Isn't this what Jesus said when He's pronouncing His woes upon the Pharisees and the lawyers? And the lawyers there, not the kind of lawyer we're thinking about in our day, but the lawyers, those who were experts of the law of God. He said, woe to you lawyers. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Not only they didn't want to believe it, but they didn't want anybody else to come in. Unbelievers are not content to reject the gospel themselves. They want to hinder and dissuade others from accepting it. It says they poison the minds of others against the message and the messenger. They want them to think badly of them so they won't listen to them. They make up lies. And Jesus said they would do this. They'll make up all manner of, say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. They attack the messengers because if they can attack the messengers, they won't listen to the message. That's just human nature. But then thirdly, perseverance. Perseverance, it says in verse 3, therefore, Speaking of Paul and Barnabas and the others with them, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You see, they didn't throw in the towel. You know, some people, as soon as a little opposition comes, they're ready to give up. They're ready to give up. I I remember way back when I first became a Christian, my my roommate, he became a Christian or made a profession of faith at the same time uh, within a few days that I did. But then some difficulties came, and was up, done with that, and left. Never to come back. No, they weren't like that. They weren't giving up. They didn't stick their tail between their legs and run. Their response was not to pack up and run. Rather, they stayed their course. And it says they did this for a considerable time. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. And not only did they stay there a long time, they kept speaking and they kept speaking boldly. Now it says, therefore, they stayed a long time. It tells us the reason. They stayed here probably longer than any other place on their first missionary journey. But they did so. Why? Because of the opposition. These new believers in Christ, they're, they're babes in Christ. They're helpless. Who's going to defend them? Who's going to help set them straight when these Jews and others are opposing them and stirring others up against them? And so they had a shepherd's heart and they wanted to protect the sheep. And so they stayed there. You see, they weren't in this uh, for anything other than the salvation of men. They weren't there for the money. They, in fact, this is another thing Paul often did. He said, 
We worked with our own hands so not to be a burden to any of you. But they stayed there. They persevered. They didn't give up. And they did so for a considerable time. And and they did so with boldness. And then it says, the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God was blessing them with His miracle-working signs. Again, the miracles were not just something to dazzle them or to impress them. It was pointing directly to the truthfulness of the message and the messengers. You remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he says, we know that you have come from God for no one can do the works that you do unless God is with him. So these signs, these these miracles were signs authenticating the message and the messengers. They were sent of God. But then we come to four. Number four, there was division. Verse four, but the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. There's a clear division now between believers and unbelievers. And there always is. You're either a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or you're not. The gospel divides men. That's why I read Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, I did not come to bring us a peace, but a sword. R.C. Sproul said, this is what happens when people are faithful to the gospel. When people preach the gospel without compromise, inevitably it will provoke division because the truth of God divides. We need to understand that because we live in a time when we abhor anything that could possibly divide us, particularly in the context of the church. As a result, we continually compromise and water down the truth of the Word of God and so as to offend no one. Our efforts to keep the peace result in a Rodney King theology, Sproul says. You remember the Rodney King Advice to everyone, can't we just all get along? Well, they want to get along, but they're willing to give up truth. And when we're going to give up truth, oh my, we've forfeited everything. Buy truth, the Bible says, and sell it not. Again, quoting from from J.C. Ryle, he says, there's a deep truth in all of this. He's commenting here on Matthew 10, which is constantly forgotten and overlooked. Many talk vaguely about unity and harmony and peace in the church of Christ as if they were all things that we ought to always to expect. And for the sake of which everything ought to be sacrificed. Such people would do well to remember the words of the Lord. No doubt unity and peace are mighty blessings We ought to seek them, pray for them, and give up everything in order to obtain them except truth and a good conscience. If it has to do with truth or obeying the Lord, we won't give those up. We can give up a lot of things and should, but not truth and not obedience to the Lord. Then... Fifthly, persecution arises and it's intensifying. It was already there when they were stirring up uh, the Gentiles and poisoning their minds against the brethren. 
But if you look in verse 5, we see it intensifying. It says, And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, notice, Jews and Gentiles don't get along. But they'll get along here. People who are enemies will unite if they have a common foe. We see this in wartime. We see it everywhere we go. But they'll unite. And so they, they united because they want to attack the gospel. But notice it says, and with their rulers to abuse and stone them. Oh, stone them. That's awfully radical. This persecution has escalated to such a point that the enemies of the gospel are now ready, now ready and willing to kill them. This seems so extreme, and yet we've already seen it. We saw it in Acts chapter 7 and 8 with the death of Stephen. He was preaching the gospel, and they were tormented, and they couldn't stand to hear it. They stopped up their ears, and they, they ran at him with one accord and picked up stones and stoned him to death. And they're ready to do that here in Iconium. It happened then, and it has continued to happen throughout church history to this very day. You think, oh, we live in the 21st century. It couldn't happen today. It is happening today in certain parts of the world, and it could very well happen even in our own country. If you don't see the changes that are going on that could escalate to that place, then you need to open your eyes because it's, it's there. But then we have the sixth place, deliverance. Verse 6, and they became aware of it. Too. They, the, the apostles, they, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities in Lyconium and to the surrounding region. So it says that in the kind providence of God, they were made aware of this devilish plot to ultimately do away with these men. It was God's providence. We don't know who told them. We don't know how they knew. But someone was in the right place at the right time and they heard what they were intending to do these men and they went to them and told them. And so it says they fled. Now some might think they were being cowards and running for their lives. But they had this command from the Lord also found in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. That was Jesus saying that. Jesus who said we must be willing to lay down our lives for him. And if we love others, including our own life more than him, we're not worthy of him. So he expects us to follow him even to the end. But he said, in the matter of wisdom, flee to another city. There's an old saying, he who fights and runs lives to fight another day. And that's how they saw this. They weren't running as cowards. They were running as wise men. William Arnott said they, they preserved life in order that they might preach. But they would not cease to preach in order that they might continue to live. You see the difference? They preserved Life in order that they might preach, but they wouldn't cease to preach in order that they might preserve life. That's where the difference is. And you have to be careful here. There's not a compromise. That you're not fudging on the truth or you're not watering down the gospel because you don't want to be persecuted. But here they chose the course of wisdom. And then finally, continuance. 
It says in verse 7, and they were preaching the gospel there. That is in these new cities they've gone to in Lystra and Derby. While the door of opportunity was closed in one place, another was opened. And they made their way to Lystra and Derby. And Matthew Andrews said, in times of persecution, ministers may see cause to quit the spot where they are, when yet they do not quit the work. They left one place, but they continued the work in another place. They didn't sit around and reason among themselves, you know, that didn't go so well in Iconium, did it? <laughs> Maybe we should just lay low for a while. No, they got out of the immediate danger, but they know they, they knew. They've already been persecuted in Antioch and now in, in Iconium. What's to prevent them from being persecuted in Lystra and Derby? But they knew they had to keep preaching. They continued to do what God had called them to do. And one thing God has never called us to do is to be silent. He's never called us to be silent. We're to take the gospel wherever we go, regardless of the danger. Now, we need to be wise and and prudent, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves, Jesus said. But Jesus told us all that we're to be the light of the world. Matthew 5, he says, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, we see the commitment and we see the courage of these men sacrificing everything to follow the Lord, taking the gospel to those who are in darkness. So important that they risk everything. And we find it difficult to risk anything. We need to take the gospel to everyone and not to be afraid, not to be ashamed. Oh, you'll lose friends. There's no question. And and those friends you lose, they may influence other friends. You might lose them as well. Family members. Oh, family members will try to keep you from following Christ. They don't like it either. If they're not following Christ, you think they're happy if you do? Not at all. Because you following Christ is saying, He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to follow Him. But they're not following Him. So they'll speak all manner of evil against you. They'll do everything to try to persuade you not to follow Him. We need to follow Him no matter what. Even if family and friends turn against us. Following Christ. Is it worth it? Oh, Paul said yes. (laughs) They all said yes. Is it worth it to follow Him? Jesus said He saves His life. We'll do what? Lose it. But he who loses it for my sake shall find it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.